World Cups come and World Cups go, but what stays forever is the warm, fuzzy or cold, dank feeling that memory creates. Nostalgia isn't what it used to be, they said. But on the Heads and Tails podcast, nostalgia is what you want it to be. Because as the great Frenchman Marcel Proust wrote, remembrance of things past is not necessarily the remembrance of things as they were. And to join me on this fantastic Proustian adventure is the Jules Winfield to my Vincent Vega, the <laughs> Sadanand Vishwanath to my Lakshman Shivaramakrishna, the Sangha to my Mahela, the Dibli Dobli to my Wibli Wobli, Nitin Sundar aka Nitits. Nitin, in a time and place of warm-ups turning out to be dampness, what is the one thing you're looking forward to in the Men's ODI World Cup 2023? Firstly, I'm looking forward to all the feedback that's going to come to that introduction. The dibbly dobbly to my wibbly wobbly. This sounds like some very strange fan fiction that we seem to be putting together. But uh, thanks, thanks for that very cozy and intimate welcome, Chops. What am I looking forward to in the 2023 World Cup? I, I uh, saw this on Twitter. I, I don't remember who exactly posted this. Like the most uh, bizarre thing that you expect to see in this World Cup. I almost want to see this happen. I want to see the last ball of this World Cup with the batting tape requiring, I don't know, maybe a, a boundary to win. They hit the ball. The ball hits the spider camera and it's declared a dead ball because of which <laughs> they don't go on to actually win the game, though the ball actually then goes on to cross the boundary. Something of that sort, right? If there's one thing that cricket should do without, I think it's a spider cam. It doesn't add any value to the game and it's right there to create uh, all kinds of nuisance. But uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward uh, to a great World Cup. Hopefully, once the cricket begins, we'll just have great memories and great action. Okay. And have you been following the uh, so-called warm-up matches? Any early signs? Um, any predictions for the top four? Uh, no, I have not really been following the warm-up games. I broadly does seem like even the teams don't want any more warm-ups. I think everyone is a bit cagey about their best players. Uh, not getting injured before the main tournament begins and there's all sorts of experimentation happening. There's been a bit of rain in uh, various venues. So I don't know if anyone's reading too much into these warm-up games. Uh, my picks for the top four would be India, England, Australia and uh, my dark horses are South Africa. I do expect Pakistan to make a strong challenge but uh, and I'd be glad if they make the semis. But uh, going in, I feel they might just miss out. To these four teams that I mentioned. What about you? What is your top four? I'm uh, guessing India, Pakistan, um, Australia, South Africa. Um, I think England have had a great run and they will also start off well. But um, somewhere in the middle, they'll be waylaid um, by a couple of teams, a couple of giant killing teams who don't themselves make it to the semis, but will derail um, uh, England's campaign. That'll be fun to watch. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we've had too much of England winning. Uh, so I think yeah, it'll be good to see them not actually do well in an ICC tournament for a change. And in the spirit of the World Cup that's upon us, we go back to the World Cup that was truly, truly like the one that we are going to witness uh, in a few days. But it was also unlike anything that had happened before it, and perhaps unlike anything that was to come after it, we are going back to the 1992 Men's ODI World Cup. The first World Cup with a slew of changes, the white ball, the colored uniforms, 
and the side screen being black and so so many other different things which were uh, absolutely beautiful to watch and i could say for both nitin and myself that that was the world cup which captured our imagination uh, for white ball cricket and has really left a mark which uh, perhaps wasn't thought of at that time but if you look at the kids or if you look at some of the players who emerged from the tournament it's a tournament that has uh, left its mark on history uh, why do you like the 1992 world cup so much nitin i think uh, i was by the way too young to watch cricket uh, when the 92 world cup happened so i only caught up with it uh, in hindsight uh, looking at all the highlights and everything that's available on youtube and plenty of lovely stuff that's been written about this world cup as well and 96 was the world cup i sort of watched first right that's where i first got introduced to cricket but looking back at that entire decade and all the world cups that happened it feels like 96 was when one day cricket came of age in a sense but 92 was when one day cricket opened up to the possibilities of what this format really could be i think it uh, truly made a move away from just being a you know contracted form of test cricket even in this world cup itself you saw a bit of the strategies tending to be you know batting teams approaching it the way they would approach a test match just a short end version of a test match but the format was kicking and screaming and trying to go to the next level and you could see that happen in this world cup right fantastic world cup visually like you mentioned colored clothing white balls floodlights uh, all over the place and uh, yeah lots of uh, very well packaged action but also you mentioned a world cup unlike anything that we ever saw but it seems that very often we keep saying 1992 maybe aise hua tha right 1992 maybe <laughs> yahi hua tha which uh, seems to keep happening in 2019 when pakistan got into a very similar situation in the in that world cup to 92 where they lost a few games then had to come back from behind beating more fancied opponents they said this is exactly what happened in 92 we saw it in 2021 in the t20 world cup uh, or uh, sorry the 2022 t20 world cup which happened in australia with pakistan playing england in the final reprising what happened in australia in 1992 in the one day world cup us samay bhi yahi bola 1992 mein aise hua tha it's funny then and also fitting that a world cup there we keep saying something that happened in 1992 is repeating itself the world cup trophy in 1992 was a beautiful <laughs> lovely glass crystal ball it really was gazing into the future and uh, it's only fair that on the heads and tails podcast we are going back to a tournament that would foretell the future and to do that we are going to trade some stories uh, so this uh, episode is unlike the ones that we usually do where we pick up a cricket match and then go deep into it here we are just going to trade our favorite stories from the 1992 world cup um, and nitin why don't you go first all right we are going to go with three moments slash stories i believe from the 92 world cup so the first moment that i'm going to bring to the fore is a moment that is described as something that has adorned maybe the the walls and uh, you know the uh, the bureaus in the bedrooms of many kids like you and me chops i'm talking about the moment where jonty roach picked up the ball scurried towards the stumps flew entirely horizontally into it and ran out inzama mulhak it's a moment that we have seen many times uh, thanks to youtube it's for it really was in this world cup i think jonty roach became the first fielding superstar of the game right and i don't think anybody had seen jonty roach before it south africa was a late last minute addition to this world cup because they were just coming out of apartheid and were being reintroduced into the game so this really was the first sighting of jonty roach and the stuff that he did in this world cup and of course continue to do 
throughout his career the fielding at point the catches the great diving saves and all of that but this run out was unlike anything even jonty would ever go on to do again now why i remember this moment and wanted to talk about it was we've seen that moment right i i even remember it was part of an ad where with some good music playing where in slow motion you see jonty running into the stumps when you see the actual footage if you turn the volume up there is the sound as jonty roach flies into the stumps right and this like we mentioned was a kerry packer world cup right you had i think stump camera probably for the first time yeah. uh, stump mics for the first time uh, in cricket as well all these modern gadgets coming into the game and that stump mic captures the noise so perfectly as jonty flies into the stumps it is a resounding clatter as he smashes the stumps the and it's it's startling when you listen to it right the only other startling sound associated with world cups that you know is on the same uh, at the same level as this one was in 1996 when alan donald bowled that bouncer which thudded into the head of the uae captain <laughs> sultan zarawani the sound that jonty roads makes as he smashes into the stumps is very similar <laughs> to the sound that that ball made as it smashed into zarawani's skull but uh, yeah that was the moment uh, it's a moment that has stayed with me and will stay with me forever and i think it's ian chapel or someone else on the commentary who also you know looks at the stumps with amazement because that kind of action has perhaps you know never happened uh, on the cricket field where all the three stumps are gone uh, typically you have uh, you know bold uh, dismissals or runouts or stumpings where the bails or a couple of stumps go but to have all three completely obliterated uh, beautiful so good to watch Okay so I want to talk about uh, another african actually I'm going to talk about Edo Brandis um, who is a proper medium pacer from Zimbabwe uh, could swing and seam and nip it around a little bit and uh, for a little while he became Zimbabwe's most uh, famous chicken farmer uh, because he downed England um, in his country's last match in the 1992 world cup uh, now this match was played at Albury which is uh, you know basically in the back of the beyond of the middle of nowhere in Australia and even if you are completely empathetic um, albury probably didn't have a pitch of international standard mm. uh, zimbabwe true to you know form of a team which had uh, lost every single one of their matches uh, in the tournament till then were uh, shot out for just 134 and here is you know the the premise that sets it up so nicely uh, jeffrey boycott that proud englishman uh, actually went to dave hotton uh, the zimbabwe captain during the lunch break and in his own customary style he said that zimbabwe were rubbish they didn't run their uh, runs hard enough and the englishmen are the true professionals and they'll show them after the break how it's done and um, edo brandes of the you know the 56 in chest and uh, zero fucks to give he definitely had other plans and uh, when it's uh, zimbabwe's turn to bowl he takes a flurry of wickets to just derail their chase completely uh, first he takes out graham gooch for a first ball tuck which is almost a yorker length full toss then he takes out alan lamb with a short yeah. ball outside of um, you know that was hit tepidly and caught inside the circle on the leg side then he takes out robin smith um, this one nips in uh, goes uh, goes through the gap between bat and pad um, and robin smith is you know going for um, for a very expansive drive and then comes the crowning moment of glory grim hick um was the england uh, prodigy uh, young batter who was uh, poised for great things 
didn't actually achieve all that much uh, in international cricket but uh, he was actually from zimbabwe and uh, england had gone through various hoops to make sure that he played for them in this world cup he obviously had some qualification criteria fulfilled etc and graham hick and edu brandes were actually friends when both of them were uh, classmates back in zimbabwe which is where graham hick uh, grew up and the night before this match the two of them were perhaps talking and uh, uh, edo brandes actually wishes his friend good luck for the match but he also tells him that uh, he's going to be his bunny and when the moment comes uh, this is the sixth ball that graham hick is facing he's not yet off the mark this this beautiful uh, you know length ball almost again yorker length that moves away just a little bit and hits off stump um, graham hick is out for a duck Uh, this is uh, edo brandes's fourth wicket and it completely kills england's hopes of a win and uh, yeah england were already through to the semis and uh, you know they were also badly injury hit and perhaps saving their resources for uh, the big yeah. matches to come uh, but for zimbabwe and you know the the perilous cricket situation that they found themselves in uh, almost throughout their history uh, this must have been quite the win uh and and uh, you know edo brandes 10 overs four maidens 21 runs four wickets um reaching uh, reaching uh, you know unexplored heights for himself and uh, through him zimbabwe 134 all out beat england 125 all out by nine runs so a famous famous win that's perhaps lost in all the big matches that happened in this tournament uh, but a special one for uh, edo brandes and zimbabwe very special game i i don't know if albury hosted any other games outside of this world cup right um, and like you mentioned england were already through of course to the semi finals thanks to which uh, they were resting some of their fast bowlers i think chris lewis as well as uh, dick bingle did not play this game against zimbabwe so it's possible that england maybe took the game a little lightly zimbabwe had another great game earlier in the tournament which they should have won yeah, nearly yeah. won which was at this beautiful most anachronistic cricket ground that you would ever see it's called the pukekura oval at new plymouth it literally is a neighborhood park it's not really a cricket ground uh, and the footage for this match that exists uh, on youtube is also quite funny zimbabwe played sri lanka in this uh, ground so there weren't real stands at the pukekura oval yeah, yeah what you had were not even the usual kind of grass banks at the edge of the boundary right the square boundary you literally had something that looked like a terraced farm right so you had steps uh it was entirely green and it was like you know big steps and people were sitting on these steps and these weren't like steps you could walk or run uh you know up and down through because these were like literally 5 feet uh tall steps right so it was pretty yeah. tall and it was going all the way up one of the most beautiful grounds you would want to play cricket in but yeah. not really the sort of ground you'd expect to see a world cup match being hosted at and uh, that was a, a very famous game because uh, zimbabwe scored 300 plus and for the first time in one day history 300 was chased out by sri lanka thanks to arjuna ramtunga scoring a marvelous 80 odd to shepherd a very very close chase but that's how zimbabwe's campaign began uh, with a close defeat and it ended with a very famous win the edo brandes inspired defeat of england who went on to the semi finals and then the final which they would famously lose it looks like africa is the theme for today's <laughs> episode though we are talking about a world cup that where our african teams did not actually end up doing too well at the end of it all but here goes the third anecdote is also around south africa 
who for the first time in their history and sadly not for the last time in their history would choke out of a world cup in fact i wouldn't classify this one as a choke and yeah. south africa got a lot of sympathy because uh, they got robbed apparently by the rain rule because they needed 22 to win of 13 balls which was later revised to 21 to win of one ball because 22 of, the... of 22 of one 22 of one which was a mistake it later got corrected to 21 of one in fact uh, we should do the uh, it it was first 22 of seven which was a mistake what they actually meant was 22 of one but actually it was not even 22 of one it was 21 <laughs> of one because there were three overs uh, three maiden overs uh, that uh, that had been faced in the first innings and the way the rule applied was the the most economical overs of the team that batted first would get removed from the team that was chasing uh, but one of these maiden overs had a leg bye so that was the extra run that was not accounted for which was later accounted for but anyway it was a complete shambles omni shambles by the time this <laughs> came to an end now the reason uh, first of all this was of course a day night game it was the semi final it was south africa versus england south africa were chasing the reason why they could not just continue on and play this game through uh, though the, the rain break was a short one it was barely 15 to 20 minutes of rain that happened in the latter stages of the game apparently the reason why they could not go on and continue and play a full game after a short rain break was because cricket was so beholden to the broadcasters and <laughs> they the broadcasters would have no extension uh, uh, they would not allow any any sort of extension in the playing time so the game had to end at a designated time which meant overs had to be lost now the reason i want to talk about this moment of course one it wasn't really a south african choke but also i don't think south africa deserve anybody's sympathy for what happened to them on that day uh, firstly everyone knew that there was rain that was forecast in this game there was going to be rain later on despite knowing that kepler versus the captain of south africa chose to bowl first though back then the rules always favored the team that batted first when it whenever there was rain in the air so it was a slightly cagey decision it was very unclear why kepler versus made it maybe it was the pressure of the big game and they got their calculations wrong but later as south africa were bowling uh, when england's innings was underway they also knew that rain was going to come they they saw that england were batting really well and were going to post a huge score because of which south africa decided to slow down their bowling they decided not to complete their quota of overs knowing that if they did not finish their overs within the cut off time uh, the innings would just stop and which is what happened uh, england were robbed of five overs i think of their innings yeah. Yeah. and the match was reduced to 45 overs which i think in this day and age seems like a completely unfair thing to do but yeah. such were the rules back in those days so really south africa had only themselves to blame and eventually yeah, yeah i think it was only fitting that the rain came down and stopped them from getting away with these very strange shenanigans england did really well in the circumstances to put it past south africa they were the better team on the day so but yeah one of those moments which I find it very strange that everything that we read about this World Cup, uh, at least as a child, when I first read about this famous game, my heart would go out. Right, looking at yeah. that big, that image of twenty-two uh, over one ball on that giant scorecard, and uh, dejected faces in the South African uh, balcony. Brian McMillan and Dave Richardson, I think, were the batsmen. But you go back and dig a little deep, and I think Siddharth Munga wrote a piece about this a few years back. Really, South Africa did not deserve any sympathy for this, and I think yeah. I would say. they are still paying the price for the bad karma they are <laughs> because they keep crashing out of world cups very often thanks to rain <laughs> so yeah. there you go don't mess with rain 
Okay, so moving on from uh, the African continent, we go to um, uh, we go to New Zealand, who were uh, clearly the breakout team of this tournament. And uh, you know, yes, there was Martin Crow's astute leadership and uh, great batches pinch hitting and Deepak Patel's off spin. Uh, but to me, the real quintessence of that uh, New Zealand side was this man called Chris Zinzan Harris, uh, hmm. that uh, peculiar middle name uh, borrowed from a rugby player. Uh, and and Chris Harris was quite something, uh, you know, back in the day. He His uh, head was still almost full of hair and uh, he had the uncontrollable white ball in hand. A lot of pacers, uh, medium pacers, fast bowlers across uh, different teams bowled a lot of wides and no balls with it. But he was in full control of it. He had just the right pace off the wrong foot um, to extract movement uh, in those wafer fine margins, uh, you know, that induced mistakes. Uh, many mistakes on either edge of the bat. He actually ended up as the joint second highest wicket taker of the tournament uh, while being the highest in the perceived harmlessness uh, category because he was, you know, one of those uh, dibbly-dobbly, wibbly-wobbly bowlers uh, for New Zealand in this era, in this tournament. But uh, to me, he created real electricity in the field. Yes, the Jaunty Roads run out is... Uh, is perhaps the most famous one and, uh, you know, the more written about and, and deservedly so. But um, Chris Harris was not second by any means. He was stopping certain boundaries at different places uh, in the circle. He was uh, taking difficult catches and he was affecting runouts for fun. Uh, and, and to nullify a cliche, uh, cliche about uh, New Zealand, he was, he was not really... You know, punching above his weight, as they say, he was punching in ways that uh, just caught the other boxer off guard. Mm. Uh, the, there's that direct hit to run out David Boone. Uh, it's so quick that it burns the grass over which it flies. Uh, then there's the Healy run out, which, uh, which is of his own bowling. And yeah. That's just fantastic athleticism. Um, then uh, in the match against Sri Lanka also, there's the Arvinda De Silva run out. Um, and then there is a cotton bolt of uh, Desmond Haynes, uh, again, uh, in his follow-through. Um, and it's great balance and the catch is so low, it's millimeters above the ground. Uh, but to me, the real uh, injustice of uh, this tournament for Chris Harris uh, were the two runouts that weren't to be uh, yes. in the semi-final that, uh, that New Zealand lost to Pakistan. Uh, great heartbreak for a country which uh, really had you know their hopes and uh, ambitions riding on this team, which was winning almost everything that came, uh, you know, before it. Uh, there were two runouts that couldn't be given because this tournament, while it had, uh, you know, moved cricket and white ball cricket uh, by a great extent in the in the future, uh, you know, well forward from where the 1987 tournament had left things. Uh, there were two runouts that were not given because the action replays were just not there. And um, when the replays were actually shown on TV, you see that, you know, you empathize with the umpire. They are, they are too close, uh, you know, for any umpire to be able to give with the naked eye. But uh, in the Pakistan chase, when Miyandad, who becomes one of the architects of the successful chase, is just on one run. Uh, there's this run out attempt by Chris Harris on the offside in the circle, which is clearly out on the replay, but... Uh, is not given and uh, Miyadad goes on to play a great innings. And even later, uh, you know, there's the Inzimam run out, which is given because oh, yeah. it's clearly, clearly out. There's another run out, uh, you know, a run out attempt, I should say, of Moin Khan, which yeah. is again not given out. And 
and who knows uh, you know if you had the benefit of action replay what would have been the impact of you know those two great attempts uh, you know by chris harris uh, to score runouts for his team uh, but yeah it wasn't to be uh, but that man became uh, you know my favorite and he went on to play multiple um, you know world cups uh, but he was really at his peak in this one punched above his weight punched in uh, places where the opponents did not expect what a what a wonderful player uh, a product of the 90s a cricketer who might not have had much of a career to speak of if he was around now but uh, really one of those players who lit up cricket for us in the 90s perhaps all those runouts going pakistan's way was the way of destiny just giving them a signal that it was meant to be pakistan's world cup after all and then the final would come against england and things would just keep happening right in pakistan's favor <laughs> Uh, there was of course this big partnership between imran khan and uh, javed miandar which really set up the win for uh, for pakistan in that final but there were moments even during that partnership where strange things would happen there was the stoppage that imran khan got uh, and it would it is a steepling catch for graham gooch running back towards uh, mid wicket and gooch puts it down in fact gooch uh, puts it down picks up the ball and throws to the wrong end imran khan <laughs> completed the first run and he's halfway down for the second while miandar is staying put at the striker's end if the throw had gone to the bowler's end imran was gone dead dead for the count pakistan of course go on to win the world cup i think everybody knows that in the lead up to the game there are a couple of very very famous things that imran khan said and i want to talk about one of those uh, the other one of course the more famous one we all know about which is when he says when he comes out wearing that uh, tiger t-shirt right um uh, the corner tiger t-shirt uh, for the toss of the world cup as an aside the strangest things that world cup winning captains wear on the days of the final uh, there are two contenders one is of course imran khan's white t-shirt then there is ms dhoni's sleeveless singlet that he wears <laughs> after the 2011 final when he comes out for a presentation right it's very strange to see that uh, you know on the biggest day of their lives uh, sartorial choices go for a toss but of course imran was making a statement uh, by coming out in that t-shirt and uh, people also say that they could see that graham gooch was a little taken aback and uh, was not very confident um, yeah. a little worried about the occasion to see how uh, imran khan was just owning the moment right and of course he says i want my team to play like cornered tigers because what he meant was of course that uh, when a tiger is cornered it attacks but i want to talk about something imran said the previous day nice so in the lead up in the lead up to this final there was this very very strange event that was conducted on the day before the final where both the teams pakistan and england who would have expected to be relaxing resting and thinking about <laughs> the big day were invited for this big gala dinner uh, in melbourne where there were about 600 people and there is this documentary where uh, i think it's the same video that you were referring to where the english players are talking about the strange event that they were uh, invited to attend where there was food and there were you know hundreds of people and they were being kept late delayed you know from their uh, plans and routines Uh, ahead of the biggest day in their lives and then suddenly there is this uh, stand up comedian who shows up right his name is jerry connolly but he is dressed in drag and he is dressed as the queen of england and he goes on to do a skit making fun <laughs> of monarchy making fun of the queen and ian botham and graham gooch proud card carrying english citizens <laughs> find it extremely embarrassing and extremely insulting to be subjected to this performance they get up and leave 
the special dinner that they've been invited to and imran khan notices some of these english players <laughs> leaving turns to his teammate and sees and this is a joke that has continued with english cricket of course there are players <laughs> from england who play for england and there are also players from all over the commonwealth and other countries that play for them players from south africa players yes. from new zealand players from all zimbabwe. over zimbabwe zimbabwe and so on graham hicks from zimbabwe so imran turns to his team as these english players the the english born players leave and says look it's only the colonials who are left <laughs> and he's, he's having a quiet chuckle at how irritating and irritated the englishmen are ian botham of course uh, uh, played as a pinch hitter uh, a very very tubby overweight very much honest last leg ian botham played as the opening pinch hitter for england and he had a very interesting world cup he derailed yeah. australia as he tended to do several times with bat and ball had a few uh, jaunts right at the top where he would go after the bowling could still send down a mean bumper though he had added a few kilos but he was livid after this and apparently on the day of the final when ian botham showed up uh, he he felt this was this whole insulting stand up act was done just out of australian spite to you know to go after the englishman and of course yeah. australia were expected to make the final they they had a bad world cup they were the defending champions but the bad world cup but there were 80000 odd people at the mcg for the final and it goes without saying that outside of the bami army everybody who was there was supporting pakistan botham gets out for a duck in the final he and it's and it's not an edge he maintains to this date that it was not an edge there was a sound as the ball passed wasim akram says that oh, i heard a noise and i appealed and this given i really don't know but uh, botham believes he is not out it was of course the greatest the greatest of several great days in wasim akram's life where he bowled an absolutely brilliant spell and uh, yeah it was written in the stars that pakistan would win the world cup in 1992 and they went on to have a dazzling night and when the win is done at the mcg you know imran is is uh, walking around with a smile and miandad emerges out of the dressing room uh, he wasn't on the field for the england chase because you know he, even in the uh, pakistan innings he actually had to take a runner um, so he was uh, being substituted by someone else after the win is done he comes out and perhaps he goes straight to imran imran is walking in one direction uh, he displays the temerity to go to imran interrupt his winning walk gets him to turn around and the yeah. two exchange a you know satisfied smiling look with each other and then they indulge in a hug for the ages perhaps you know that is the last hug they would have ever exchanged um, after that win uh, there has been a lot of back and forth between the two of them uh, you know in media um and and there's a whole host of you know izzat issues that have come up between the two probably more from miandad side given yeah. imran actually ended up uh, you know the prime minister of uh, of the country but for that one moment um i think the two of them biggest rivals in the pakistani team ever uh, maybe maybe mirroring you know what fazal mahmood and uh, uh, abdul hafiz kardar uh, you know had as a rivalry Uh, but what an inspiring moment and what an inspiring win it is the week when a world cup is going to kick off in india and hence we went back to a world cup in australia to speak about players and teams from africa and about players 
who played for England but were born in many many different countries and finally finished talking a lot and lot about Pakistan. It is after all a World Cup. We are of course talking about players from different parts of the world and different countries, some of which are going to be bringing home the action starting this week as the World Cup gets underway in India. Chops and me can't wait for the action to begin. We hope that 2023 is going to be just as much fun as 1992 and 1996 and 1999 and all the other great World Cups that we've seen in the past. If you've liked this episode, uh, please give us five stars on Spotify or any other uh, uh, audio platform that you listen to us on. And please tell your friends about us because we are going to have a lot of World Cup special episodes coming up as the World Cup itself gets underway. Thank you so much for listening to us. Until next time, it's goodbye from Nitin and it's goodbye from me. Bye. Bye-bye. You were listening to Heads and Tails, hosted by Abhishek Chopra and Nitin Sundar. Produced by Audiomatic. Producers for Audiomatic, Rajesh Tahil and Avdud Khanolkar. Assistant Producer, Pia Kash.